Philippians 4.14 Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment, and more, I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father and be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We're in Philippians chapter 4, the the text that Chris read for us. That's our teaching text. So turn your Bibles, if you would. I think it will be helpful for your learning experience if you look at the Scriptures. The Black Pew Bible, it's page 1167 again. Philippians chapter 4, we're finishing up this study. Next week, we'll begin a study called The Greatest Week in the Greatest Life. We're looking at the last week of Jesus in five weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter. So we'll start that next week. I want to read verse 10 through 13 just by way of context, kind of set us up for our, our text today. You know, we, we study a text. It's not in isolation. We study it in context. And so let's look at verses 10 through 13. This is Paul, again, on second missionary journey. He, he started this church. This is 10 years removed from him starting the church, and he's writing this letter. He's received a gift from Epaphroditus uh, or from the Philippians by way of Epaphroditus while he's in prison in Rome. Not sure what his situation is. He, he doesn't know. The future uh, is unknown to him. But he received a gift from the church. And this is, you could say, a, a thank you note he's sending back to the Philippians. Look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, rece- you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this contentment that Paul had learned was not a situational contentment. Situational contentment is not what God desires for us. What I mean by situational contentment is if things are going good, then we're good. But if things aren't going well, then we're a wreck. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the example Paul had lived for the Philippians. He was content in Christ. But again, as we said last week, this contentment that Paul has, whether he has much or little, was learned over time as Paul went through difficulty. As he went through difficulties, he trusted the Lord. And God proved himself to be faithful. And as he goes through another difficulty in life, he trusts the Lord and God, again, proves himself to be faithful. So over time, he's learned to be content. Whether he had a a lot or a little, he's content in Christ. 
We said contentment last week. This is how we defined it is when you can't change your circumstances, but yet we trust the sovereign God who does all things right and well. Sometimes we can't change our circumstances. So what do we do? We trust the sovereign God who does everything right and well. Well, just because we're content or if we are content, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't care for others. And that's our first point, verses 14 through 16 of Philippians chapter 4. Contentment in Christ and through Christ doesn't cancel out our need to care for others. Look at verses 14 through 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The Philippians were partnering with Paul. They're in fellowship with Paul. We see that word fellowship, that word group, that same word used time and time again in the book of Philippians. Look, hold your spot there. Let's look back at chapter 1 real quick. Flip back one page. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. At the beginning of the letter, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all in making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's the same word, that partnership. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That word partaker, same word. It means fellowship. Now back in chapter 4, verse, verses 14 and 15, we see that same word or same word group used. We see share my trouble in verse 14. And then verse 15, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me except you only. So that word share my troubles and, and that entered into partnership, that's the same word there. When Paul left Philippi 10 years earlier and traveled 90, 95 miles down the Ignatian Way to Thessalonica, these poverty-stricken Philippians who were also undergoing persecution, they repeatedly sent representatives from the church to Thessalonica to give gifts to Paul to meet his needs. And when Paul left Macedonia... They remain the only church to support them. Even when Paul goes to the wealthy church in Corinth, from whom he would not take any money, it was the Philippians of Macedonia who helped him. As he, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. That's the Philippians supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Didn't want to take money from the Corinthians. But those Philippians, they were more than happy to meet Paul's needs. So this church, by giving to Paul time and time again, what they've done is they've locked arms with Paul in fellowship. They're partnered with him, not only in his ministry, but also in his suffering. And although the Philippians, they're not in prison with Paul, they, they are participating in his afflictions by their sympathy and by their giving financially to him. They're, they're generous. They're benevolent. And so we know that being a giver is not tied to the amount of money we have. We know that because the Philippian believers, by and large, were broke. 
week to week, paycheck to paycheck, missing meals, scrimping, saving, getting by. That's what the situation of the majority of the Philippian believers was. St. Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, tells us a little bit about their situation. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, sever, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Amy, can you go back to that first part of that verse, verses 1 and 2? So being generous has nothing to do with how much money you got in your pocket, okay? Because the Philippians were, were flat broke, going through tremendous difficulty, but yet they were, time and time again, Paul calls them benevolent. They're very, very generous. I want you to see here, look in verse 2. They're going through a severe test of affliction. And notice it says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, this is strange because we oftentimes think of poverty with sadness. We think of poverty. We don't think of people who are poor being generous. But notice what you have there in verse 2. Now, again, this situation... Paul was in need. The church in Philippi continually gave to him and support him out of their poverty. They didn't have enough to take care of themselves, but yet they gave to Paul. This situation here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 is a different situation altogether. It's not Paul. It's the, the believers in Jerusalem. Paul was taking up an offering because there was a famine and a lot of believers in Jerusalem were poor and they didn't have enough. And so this is a different offering that they were eager to take part in. So this isn't Paul receiving this offering. This is the church in Jerusalem. But, but notice it says they have extreme poverty, but notice there's an abundance of joy. There's also overflowed with and a wealth of generosity on their part. So we normally don't see those together, but if you have money or you don't, it doesn't matter. You still can be generous. That's the point. The Philippians were broke, but they were very benevolent. And they gave according to their means. And that doesn't mean they gave a lot. It's like the widow's might. You know the story? You have the wealthy folks giving some. Oh, look what I'm giving, look what I'm giving. And what does the, the widow do? She gives out of her poverty. She's like, who gave the most? Who's the most generous? Yeah, the widow, right? So, the Philippians are being generous. They're being benevolent. Paul is excited about their giving, not because he's receiving, but he's excited because they're growing in Christ's likeness. But there's a broader audience in view, and we too need to think about our own giving habits. We're to be generous with our resources. What we do with our with our with our stuff, with our resources, is a window into our souls, so to speak. You say, my goodness, I ain't been here in a long time. You're going to open up the Bible and start preaching on money. Yeah, because Jesus did and the apostles did, right? 
We tell a lot about where we are with the Lord by how we spend money or how we don't spend money, right? In fact, there's, there's 500 verses in the Bible dealing with prayer, quite a lot. 500 dealing directly with faith. There's over 2,000 dealing with money and giving. Of the 38 parables of Jesus, 16 are about giving, about money. The Gospels, you take all the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, one in ten verses have to do with money or giving. It's important to Jesus because Jesus knows our money is tied closely to our hearts. Where our money is, there our hearts will be also. So God, what does he want? He wants our hearts. Again, what do we, what we do with our resources is a window in our souls. So the question is for us personally, what does God see when he looks at our hearts? Are we benevolent like the Philippians? John, the, the apostle, he writes in 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I love the Lord. Really? Are you a giver to those in need? Romans 12, 13. Again, Paul, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Yeah, you see somebody in need... We need to meet that need, especially a brother, so the gospel can go forth. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, but how are we to give? We're to be generous. We're to give cheerfully, right? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So these Philippian believers, they're motivated by their love for Christ, their love for Paul, and so they, they, they give to meet his need. Someone has said, you may give without loving, but you can't, give, you can't love without giving. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I seek the gift. Paul's not, I'm not bringing this up so you give me more stuff. I've already told you. Whether you give me a gift, support me or not, I'm okay. I'm content in Christ. He's not bringing this up so that it'll prompt them to give him more money. He said, I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't need the money. I'm content. But as their father in the faith, their spiritual daddy, he loves to see these believers give because the, verse 70 says, he seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. Fruit, what's that talking about? Fruit is a result of their faith in Christ. Now, we're justified. We're made right with God not by works, not by things we do. We're justified by our faith in what Christ has done for us. So you, you might say, well, how are we saved? We're saved by trusting Christ's work on the cross, trusting that he died for us and he rose on the third day for us. We're saved by Faith. We're justified by faith. But once justified, being firmly rooted in the gospel, our lives should soon begin to bear fruit of obedience to the Lord. And one of the first fruits that you could see in the Philippians was generosity. 
They had benevolent hearts. So Paul is excited because he sees these, these, his children in the faith, he sees them obeying the Lord and being benevolent and being giving. Oh, man, that's Christ-like. Kids, you're growing up. He wants to see them benevolent and generous. He wants to see the fruit that increases to their credit. He wants to see them give sacrificially because it's evident of their growing faith in Christ. What's their motive? Their motive, they're not giving to this needy brother Paul like you would a political figure. You know, maybe you, you donate money to a political figure because you think the, when, if they're elected, they'll help you in your causes in some way. Not that way. Philippians aren't motivated by what they're going to get from this person. They're not motivated like, like maybe if you give to a, a, a fundraiser, like a football team. Your company gives money to the football team, so when they hand out the programs on Friday night, your company logo is on the front page. That's not the motivation. Neither were the Philippians given to Paul so that God would bless them financially in this world. Now, what are they motivated by? They're motivated by love for God and love for Paul. And Paul wants these poor followers of Jesus to give to the Lord's causes so that their investment compounds spiritual interest. Ken Hughes says, the only money that we will see again is that which we give away. And that money will return with compounded interest. And we use our money for good causes, don't we? We, we invest. Some of you have 401Ks. You're investing in different things. Profit sharing, whatnot with your company. But the return on your investment when you give to others and pour out your finances to the Lord and his causes is off the charts. William Barclay, he says, we are to share with those in need. In a world bent on getting, the Christian is bent on giving because he knows that what we keep, we lose. What we give, we have. Pretty good, huh? And why is that? Matthew 6, 19 through 20. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We see this again. Jesus tells the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler comes and says, how do I get to heaven? How can I be assured I'm going to heaven? Jesus tells him, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure where? In heaven. Now come follow me. And so Jesus tells us, don't store up treasures on, 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 on earth, which is temporary, but store up treasure in heaven, which is eternal. And so as Paul thinks of this account in heaven where these believers can store up treasure, he pictures their obedience as making credits to their account. They got a spiritual account, and when they're giving, what's happening? They're getting credited. It's getting credited to their account in glory. Not necessarily here, although the Lord blesses us here. There's a spiritual law, isn't it? Reaping and sowing. And God does bless us. As, as Reagan said, everything we have comes from him. He said, no, I earned my money. I went to school and da-da-da-da, and I started this business, and I worked 70 hours a week to make all this money. I hear you, self-righteous God. No, that's not your doing. It's the Lord's doing. The Lord's blessing. 
Thank him for it. Stop being so prideful. So this gets Paul excited, and he's, he's so thankful and for these believers who are so generous, and he's encouraging them, continue to be generous, continue to be generous, because you're, you're storing up something in, the, in glory. And he says that in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's like you're giving this money, you're giving of your resources, it's like this sacrifice to the Lord. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and be ready to share. The storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the what? For the future. Yeah, sometimes this return is deferred, isn't it? If we give and we're sacrificially given, that doesn't mean it's tomorrow, next week, we're gonna, God's going to give us back more physical money here. But it's future. Health and wealth preachers, we talked about them last week. I'm not a big fan. They try to make this an absolute promise in regard to our physical lives. But like I said, a lot of what we're investing in is, is eternal. It's not temporal, temporary. It's, it's eternal. And like I said, if you ever get solicited by a health and wealth preacher... You just tell them, say, look, that stuff you're teaching, if you really believe it, you give me some money, and God's going to bless you three or four fold. It's not the other way around. I mean, think about that. If what they're peddling was really true, they'd be sending out money to everybody. So sometimes the profit is deferred. The return on the investment is for future enjoyment and glory, right? But it will be credited to us for sure. Luke chapter 14 this is the, the parable of the great banquet. And I'm reading a lot of text here, but there's so much in the Bible about giving, about money. Because where your money is, there your heart is, right? Luke 14, 12 through 14. Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you'll be repaid when? Yeah, at the resurrection of the just. So don't store up treasure on earth, but let's store up treasure in heaven. But are there benefits now? Well, we live in the here and now, preacher. Come on. I got bills to pay, and I got mouths to feed. What about the here and now? Well, the second point is God meets the needs of the benevolent in Christ. Look at verse 19. This is a well-known and often quoted verse, right? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But we have to remember the context of this verse. It's being written to an obedient, benevolent congregation. It isn't a verse that everybody can claim. 
Who's Paul writing this to? Look back, flip back one page. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He's writing this to those who are in Christ. So this doesn't apply if you're not in Christ. Hey, lost person, if you're here and you've never repented and trusted Christ, work on the cross of your own, this doesn't, this doesn't apply to you. You can't say, well, God's going to meet all my needs. If you're not in Christ, that's not true. He meets all your needs in Christ. Again, health and wealth preachers teach a principle of reward, but oftentimes it's not attached to Jesus, right? Notice, according to his riches and glory in Christ. And, and I think Paul here in verse 19, I think that Paul most likely has material provision in view here, like your necessities. You know, it's kind of like the Matthew 6... 33 and 34 principle, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what he'll do. He'll, he'll take care of your needs, right? I think that's what Paul is doing here. But I don't think we have to limit it just to the material because God also supplies every spiritual need, doesn't he? Included the ability to be content and to find sufficient strength in Christ. But Paul is saying here in verse 19 that God will provide everything we need to live for Christ. Dwight Pentecost, he offers an important message, I think. He says, the promise that God, my God should supply all your need presupposes obedience. To claim the fulfillment of the promise without giving obedience to God is presumptuous. It shows a lack of faith. So who can, who can hold tightly to this verse? Who can take hold of it with both hands, Bo? It's those who have been generous with their money and they've given sacrificially to the those in need and for the Lord's causes. The Philippians were obedient. They were obedient to the gospel. They were obedient to the demands of love for the apostle Paul. And because of their obedience, the apostle can say categorically to them, I realize that in your poverty you gave and that you are reduced to, to dire want. But my God shall supply your needs because they rose out of obedience. It's foolish to think that you can squander what God has given you on yourself and then expect him to step in and meet your need. How are you using your money? Are you benevolent? Are you a giver? Just as God met the needs of Paul through the Philippians, Paul is confident that God will supply their needs. And God has it to give. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Quote Ken Hughes again. He says, if I had a million dollars and gave you a hundred dollars, I would be given out of my riches. However, if I gave you a blank check, I would be giving according to my riches. But God does far more because his riches are infinite and cannot be diminished by the endless zeros of a celestial blank check. If you're like, what would you just say? You can't outgive the Lord. Paul, he taught in chapter 2 that we should put others' interest above our own. You remember that way back in chapter 2? That's a while back. And you know what the Philippians have done? They've done that. 
They're in need. They don't have enough to get by, but what do they do? Oh, our spiritual daddy, Apostle Paul's in prison. He's, he needs food. He needs this. He needs this. So what do they do? They scrimp, scrape, and, 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 and get up enough money and send somebody to Philippi with, with a gift, knowing that there's our, there's our money for this and for that. But as God gives to us, we give back. And as we give and are faithful in giving, God will meet our needs. It's kind of like there's this ledger of life, you know. And when we live for ourselves, it's going to end up in the red. But that isn't how it is for those who serve the Lord and are generous in giving. And, and, and I'll be real honest with you. We need to be benevolent people. We should be. Maybe even as, a, as, a, as a, a family, as a couple, if you're married, you can sit and look at your, how you spend your money. And it's really easy to do that. If you, if you want to know like a budget where you can do that, where you, you, uh, you add in all your expenses and at the end of the month, he'll tell you like where you spent your money. I, we've done that with a budget, but I could share that with you. But if you do that and see where's your money going, where's your money going, you can kind of see what you're, what's important to you. Those who serve the Lord should be generous. And when you're generous, God meets your need. Proverbs 11 it tells us that, verses 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. We know that, don't we? Yeah. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. Jesus says that. The Lord. Yeah. Yeah, God, he'll meet our needs if we are faithful and giving and generous. Look at verse 20. Praise to God is the proper response when God's people are generous. Or our generosity will result in praise to the Lord. And there's a doxology here. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul sees these believers. He's receiving these gifts, not that he has to have it. He's content regardless, but that's how the Lord met Paul's physical needs is through the, this church in Philippi. And Paul just praised the Lord. He's not praising the Lord because he's got something to eat or whatever. Praise the Lord because of the faithfulness of God to these Philippian believers. God sees the fruit, their hearts. They're benevolent. They're Christ-like. They're growing in, in their love for the Lord. Paul, who's confined in prison, he's soaring with a heart full of praise. You think about it, everything we have is the Lord's. He's given you resources to be good stewards. And some of you, you're like, yeah, he, I don't have a whole lot to, to steward. And that's true. Some of you, you're just getting by. But some of you, the Lord's blessed. And you have a lot to steward. 
Regardless, if you have a little or you have much, you should be generous in your giving. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart. Where's your heart? Well, look at your treasure. That's where your heart is. Man, I've seen it in my own life. Wow, we've talked about that when we talked about contentment. The more you have, the more you won't. We have to be really careful. And this whole contentment business is really hard. And we struggle, don't we? Because we are worldly. And, and, and the, the truth of the matter is we're all wealthy. We're all rich. Say, no, you haven't. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You hadn't been anywhere. You hadn't been to places I've been. You're loaded. You're going to eat. You're going to eat. You're going to eat. There's people in the world that that's not going to happen today. You're wealthy. I'm wealthy, right? Application. What do we do with this? Well, are, are you content? Are you generous? I think if you're content, you're going to be generous. Would you consider yourself a generous person or would you consider yourself a stingy person? You say, well, how do I know if I'm stingy or not? Do you overspend? And most times if you overspend, not always, but usually you overspend on who? Who? Yeah, yeah. And we spend too much on us because why? We're not content in the Lord. Yeah, it's hard. I know. It's hard. So what do we do? We do retail therapy. You ever done that? Retail therapy? Oh, yeah. The Amazon truck. How many times does it pull in the driveway every day, you know? Like retail therapy. Are you, I think it's just a question. Are you content? Are you generous? That Psalm 26, 2, you know, prove me, Lord. Test me and try me, you know, and, and show me my heart. Show us our hearts. Where are we in our level of contentment or level of giving. I think the joyful, contented Christian will be generous. When we give, we sacrifice, we're storing up treasure in heaven. And the result is praise to the Lord. As we give, there should be a resulting praise. Yeah, I think maybe just as a family, just you think about budgets, and whatnot. Look at your money and just just look. You know, maybe even tonight you get in bed, you're just like, hey, let's just take a look see. Here's our check register. Or get online and look at your online banking and say, where's our money going? Not that we have to change anything or, you know, we're fixing to sell our house and all that, but just look and just see. I think it'd be you'd be it'd be a wise thing to do. Just kind of look at your money. Where's it going? Where are we spending our money and and, and, and are we investing in kingdom causes? And our church is really benevolent. And we've got a lot of incredible people who give week in, week out. Some out of their, their plenty, some out of their poverty. And our church does really, really well. I mean, we were able to send out a lot of money to our missionary partners last year because we have excess. And that's what we do as a church. At the end of the year, after all our expenses are paid, everything that's in excess, we don't put it in the bank. We send it to our partners. We're going to do that from now on. Putting it in the hands of people who are doing gospel work. 
so people can hear the gospel and, and churches can be planted and, and people can be saved and pastors can be trained. And we, we really do have a, a benevolent church. I know early on, anytime I had a need, people were there. You got a need? Here. My dryer goes out. Somebody sends me a, a dryer. No joke. We're very benevolent people. But individually, you know, we have to, as a church, we do. We, we look every year, and we're continually doing that. We have a budget team, right? We have church council, and we, we look at monies and how are we using our money. Are we being a good steward? Because we as a church, when you become part of the church, that's what we do. We're saying, look, this is a cooperative effort. We, we, we give to pay the light bill, to take care of things, and then to do gospel work. And we decide as a church, we're not an elder-led church where the, the pastor makes all the decisions. We're a congregation-ruled church. As a church, we decide those things, how we're going to spend our money. So as we give, it's not that we give and you don't know where it goes. If you don't know where it goes, that's your fault because we as a church decide where it goes. But individually, we need to look and, and, and see, are we really generous folks? And as we wrap up this letter, Paul is complimenting and praising the Lord because the, the Philippian believers, they're so generous. And, and we should be generous. Well, how much of my money should I give? I, I don't know. That's for you to decide and the Lord, but are you giving to kingdom's causes? Are you storing up treasure in heaven? Maybe you're here and you're not a believer, as we said earlier. You have yet to repent and trust Christ, work on the cross as your own. If you're not in Christ, as we conclude this book, you, you cannot be joyful. You cannot have peace because you're at enmity with God. You cannot be content. And most likely you will not be generous if you're not in Christ. Because all these things that the Lord wants us to, to, to do and to be, we can't do it on our own. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, grit our teeth, and get her done. Paul is in prison, and he's, he's not sure of what's going to happen. He's got a trial coming up with a bogus leader facing some trumped-up charge. He don't know what's going to happen, but yet he's joyful. He has peace. He's content. Why? How? It's a, it's a miraculous work of the Lord, right? He's in Christ. He has the Holy Spirit living in him. And so if you're lost, if you've never trusted Christ, you're a sinner. The Bible says you're a sinner. You've been in rebellion against the Lord. You say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Yet compared to me, you're an awesome person. Compared to the Lord Jesus, you're not a good person. Your motives aren't pure. Your heart's not like he is. You don't have compassion like he has. You don't love people like he does. You're not like Jesus. You're in rebellion against the Lord. Maybe you don't see it. But the Bible says you're at enmity with God. You're his enemy. You can't have peace. And when you die, you breathe your last, which could be today, tomorrow, the next day. You'll be at enmity. God will be at enmity with you for the rest of eternity. And he'll pour out his wrath upon you. And that's what you deserve because you're in rebellion against this holy, wonderful, loving, just God. 
That's the bad news, but that's the reality. But the good news is that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, God came and took on flesh, and he lived this life, and guess what? He was joyful like we should be. He was content like we should be. The record that we need, the life we should live, are responsible for living. He lived for us. And the Bible says that he gave up his life on a, on a cross and, and he was put to death. And at that point in time, on, when he died on the cross, the Father poured out his wrath upon him. And he took upon the wrath of the Father, was punished for sinners. He died, he was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave. The Bible says he did that so we could be justified. Sinners could be justified. So the Bible says if we'll confess our sin, we'll turn from our sin, that living for ourselves, being self-absorbed, and doing what we want to do instead of what God wants. If we turn from that and we'll trust Christ's work on the cross as our own, believing that he lived for us, died for us, and he rose on the third day, the Bible says we can be reconciled to this wonderful, holy, just God. And we can call him Father. And you know what happens is we have the Holy Spirit living in us. He begins to empower us to live like him. And even though we, we still blow it every day, all of us do, but we're not what we used to be, are we? And little by little, the Lord is sanctifying us, making us more like Christ. We're more and more joyful, more and more content. We take, we take steps back, don't we? Sometimes we take a step forward and take two steps back. But as we follow Jesus, as we live together, hand in hand, arm in arm, living together, doing church together, we're helping each other, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, not just as a church, but individually. But that can't be your experience unless you repent and trust Christ. Or whether you're a child, you're a student, you're an adult, it doesn't matter your age, Jesus commands you to repent and believe. So I want to encourage you, if you've yet to repent and believe, I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to encourage you to do that right now. Because you're lost, you're going to hell. And that's what you deserve. But because God is merciful and gracious, you can know him. You can be his child. You can begin to grow in, your, in joy, in peace, in contentment. And you can be the generous person that God wants you to be. Let's pray. And I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up. We're going to sing one song as our benediction. Let's pray. And um, we'll sing. Father, we acknowledge that you are good to us. We are so thankful for your word in the book of Philippians and all we've learned. And Lord, for me personally, it's been, a, it's been real convicting. And I see my need and my lack. And you have much to do in my heart. Father, I'm not always joyful. And Lord, I struggle with being anxious. And I, I'm not content always. And Lord, I'm not generous as I should be. And Father, you have promised that the work you began in shame. November 25th of 1990, you are going to complete. And Lord, that gives me hope. And I'm so thankful for Jesus. And there's so many here, Father, in this sanctuary today that, that have that same testimony that they've saw their sin, they've turned from it, they've repented, and they've trusted Christ's work on the cross as their own, and they've begun this walk of sanctification, of being more like Jesus, and little by little, you're convicting us and, and disciplining us, and you're making us like Jesus. But we all have so much, we've so far to go. 
But Lord, we are thankful for the testimonies represented here. And I ask that you would help us to be generous people. Lord, we care about how one another uses money because that tells a lot about our heart. And if we're not using money rightly because our hearts aren't right. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow to be a more generous church and individually more generous and more benevolent towards those in need. And Father, there may be folks here who have yet to repent. I pray that you would bring conviction on their heart, that they would see so clearly, just as Reagan did as that, at that D-Now, that middle school D-Now, she saw real clearly that she was lost. I pray that you would allow folks in here that have yet to repent to see that really clearly. And Father, I pray that they would, you would help them hate their sin. And Father, I pray that you would allow them to be poor in spirit, where they recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. And Lord, I, I pray that you would do such a work in their heart. You would regenerate their hearts where they would want to do whatever it takes, whatever you ask them to do, because the, all they want to do in life is know you. I pray that that would happen today in children's hearts, in students' hearts, in adults' hearts, in mama's hearts, in daddy's hearts, in granddaddy's hearts. I pray that you would break hearts this morning and you would save souls. Father, as, as we as a church, as we, we leave today, help us to be mindful that we should be benevolent, that we should be wise in our, in, with our money and be good stewards of all that you've given us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.